And I don't want you to, I don't want you to fall asleep. I don't want you to check out. You're going to hear some things tonight that really connect with what you heard this morning. Maybe in a little bit of a different way, but I want you to understand that God is doing that on purpose. Here's a couple things Charlie said this morning that I wrote down. I hope you took notes this morning too, as you're doing tonight. Charlie said, you got to turn from sin. Turn from sin from the book of First Peter chapter 2. And here's my question in my own life. I get that. I know that God wants me to turn from sin. But in my own life, I'm asking myself, why does sin have such a hold on me? I love Jesus. I want to do what God wants me to do. I really, really do. But why does sin have such a strong hold on me? Why do I keep sinning even though I don't want to? How many of you are in that same boat with me tonight? I just keep on sinning even though I don't want to. Why do I keep doing that? Why does sin have such a hold on me? Tonight, I'm going to use a couple little illustrations. We're talking about the game of mousetrap this evening. And uh, here's the title of our message. It's another really big question. How can I say no to sin? Here's how mousetrap works. It's just a game, right? But you play it, and the idea is to escape the mousetrap. Don't be trapped by the trap. But life is more than a game, and here's how sin works. The author of sin, the devil himself, understands this concept of trapping us. And so what he does is he's got these traps, and he knows each of us who love Jesus, he knows us very well. He's not omniscient like God is, but he knows us very well. He's known humans for generations and generations. And so Satan plays this game of mousetrap with us. That's really not a game at all. And this is what he does. He sets the trap with things that we really, really love. So he'll put maybe some money in here. Boy, we really enjoy money, don't we? Man, I just want to make money. When I grow up, I just want to be somebody that makes a lot of money. Or he puts like that girl that we really like in here and he says, hey, I'll put her in here and I'll and she'll get you to do whatever she wants you to do, even things that you know aren't healthy. Or he puts things like pornography in here. And so we sort of dabble in, and we get closer and closer and closer, and we, we think, I'll just, I'll just look at a little bit of it. And then we look at a little bit more. Or he puts in friends that we know we shouldn't be around. And you know how a mousetrap works, right? We get closer and closer and closer, and we're, we think we're safe out here. But as soon as we reach in there and we grab a hold of that bait that Satan puts in that trap, oh, it gets us. And you know how it works, right? You get caught. You get caught. So why does sin have such a hold on me? Because Satan knows that I'm going to get trapped when I sin. And that's going to that's gonna break my finger. That's going to kill me. Here's another way that Satan gets us. I don't know if you've heard of this game. It's called the limbo. Now, I don't know if you knew that IRBC has limbo sticks all around in your cabins. Usually they've got brushes on the end of them and we sweep up, right? But here, here's what I think they're really for. To play the limbo. <laughs> you know how this goes maybe. The game is somebody holds the limbo stick and then you line up and the object is to see how low you will go. And you get through here, you get down low, and you go through it, and then you circle back around, they lower it down, and you go a little bit lower, and you go a little bit lower, right? And then eventually what happens? You, 
you fall. You can't go any lower. You, you fall. You lose. And that's how Satan gets us sometimes too, right? We start up here and we think, I'll just, I'll just go a little bit low. I'll just sin a little bit. I'll just stray a little bit from what I know is true. I'll just go once or twice to a place that I shouldn't go. Or I'll just look at a website a couple minutes a day that I know I probably shouldn't be on. But I'm only going just a little bit. And then we realize, wow, that wasn't all that hard, wasn't it? And then Satan lowers the limbo stick and we go a little bit lower. And then we follow and we follow and we follow. And Satan's trying to see how low we will go. And eventually, we fall. Here's another way that the Bible tells us that Satan has a hold on us. I asked a couple buddies from Sailorville to bring their fishing gear up here this evening for me. And we've got two guys, Jackson and Sawyer. Where are you guys? You're in the back there. There you go. So here's their fishing rods. This one's actually stuck. It's, there you go. There you go. Perfect illustration, actually. So here's how this works. This guy's got some uh, plastic bait. Looks like a little bit of a worm. All right? So Satan will throw that bait right in front of us. And, and by the way, he knows exactly what kind of fish you are and what you're going to bite on. <laughs> because some of you really like this kind of bait. And then some of you might really like this kind of bait. Looks like a spinner with the skirt on it, right? <laughs> but what happens when you bite down on that thing, guys? Yeah, that's what happens when you follow short skirts around, actually. So, be... I'm just saying, be really careful. But here's, here's how Satan works, right? We've got, we've got Jackson's tackle box here, and look at all the stuff in here. I mean, there is a ton of stuff. And you think Satan doesn't have a tackle box full of lures for each one of you? See, some of you will bite on addiction. Some of you will bite on, I'll do anything to be popular. Some of you will bite on, I'll spend a week at camp and pretend to be a Christian, but as soon as I go home, I'm done with this stuff. And Satan dangles that in front of you. And what happens? You might swim around it a little bit, Sniff at it, maybe even nibble at it. But as soon as you bite down on that thing, what do you do? You feel that hook in your mouth, don't you? And Satan, and he's got you. That's how fishermen do it. In fact, the book of James actually says that sin is just like a lure. It tempts you. You bite onto it. And then Satan's got you. And so I'm asking the question, how in the world do we say no to sin tonight? Some of you have these WWJD bracelets on, right? Have you seen those? They're sort of, I guess they're coming back. They used to be really popular and now they're back, right? Here's, here's where we're going tonight. We want to follow Jesus and how he answers this question. How do I say no to sin? And then we're going to ask that question, since Jesus did it, what should I do? So we've been following along with the life of Jesus and we're going to 
back up a little bit today to the beginning of his public ministry. Okay, so he hasn't started publicly teaching or preaching or healing or announcing himself as the Messiah, the Savior yet. He hasn't started doing that yet in our story. And today's story actually comes from, uh, comes before some of the other stories that we've looked at this week. And that sounds strange because it's out of order, right? It's Thursday. Why didn't you preach this one at the beginning of the week? But I'll, I think you'll see why it's important that we're doing it this way in just a little bit. So Matthew chapter 4 is where we're at. Grab your Bibles. And by the way, if you've got a pen or pencil, something to write on, something to write with, that's handy as well. We're going to read 11 verses here from verse 1 through 11. And I'd love for you to follow along with your eyes and then with your minds and your hearts as I read this. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Circle that phrase, led up by the Spirit, or underline it or whatever if you do that in your Bible. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting, that means going without food in order to spend time with God, for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Again, another, um, another uh, proof that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. He got hungry. He got tired. Here he is hungry. After 40 days, yes, I'd be hungry too, right? The tempter, that Satan, came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So picture Jesus in the desert, in the wilderness. There's rocks, little stones, pebbles. Satan comes to him and says, turn these into loaves of bread. But verse 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city, that's Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, now picture this, is like the, the zip line climbing wall tower, right? Said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, Satan says, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike Strike your foot against a stone. Verse 7, Jesus says to the devil, again it is written, you shall not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me just for a second, Jesus. If you'll just worship me for a second, I'll give you all these kingdoms. And then Jesus says to the devil, be gone, Satan. What a phrase that is. Say that with me. Be gone, Satan. Uh, now, I want you to say that with some splunk nizamai, like, you know, from the, from the gut, right? One, two, three. Be gone, Satan. Now, that's something that you need to practice at home, too, right? That's how to say no to temptation. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to Jesus. So we're with Jesus in the wilderness. How to triumph over temptation? Here's our question tonight. How can I say no to sin? And guys, I wanna tell you, this is a message for me. You just happen to get to listen in tonight, all right? Because I desperately need this in my life. Charlie said this morning, I'm a horrible person. I'm gonna tell you, I'm a horrible person tonight. Ask my wife and my family right over here. They get it. They love me anyway, but they get it. I am a sinner. Like Paul says, I'm the worst sinner in this room, and that's not just like a preacher trying to sound cool. I know myself. I need this tonight. 
So notice in your Bibles again how Matthew sets the scene. This is really key. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, verse 1 says. So here's some context. Jesus has literally just come from his baptism in Matthew chapter 3, the chapter right before. This is his public introduction, his big launch. It's a massive uh, 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 celebration for Jesus. And we might have expected him to start gathering followers and starting to draw crowds together and maybe even going all around to the, to the major cities sort of on a tour to get his message out there like a politician would, right? Hey, I'm on the scene now. But instead, after victory comes the valley. After victory, that huge celebration of his baptism comes the valley of temptation. After the win comes the wilderness. I want you to catch this. After triumph will come temptation. It's true in Jesus' life, and it's true in your life. Listen, guys. Some of your hardest struggles have come right after some of your greatest celebrations, haven't they? Maybe your dad just got a new job and you moved into a new neighborhood and you're pumped to meet all the other kids your age and you realize you're the only kid on your entire street. After victory, after the celebration comes the struggle. Or maybe you just came back from a sweet vacation and now you're stuck at home with nothing to do and you are bored out of your mind, right? After the victory comes the valley. Or here's one. For all of us here tonight, maybe you went to camp. Did you? Yeah. And you made some really great commitments. Did you? Yeah, maybe some of you made promises to get to know Jesus better, to love people even like Jesus does, to read the Bible, and then you got back home to your family like is going to happen in a couple days, get back home to your friends, and all of a sudden those old habits start creeping in, and you're back to where you were before camp, and you can't figure out what went wrong. After victory comes the valley. Mark it down. It's going to happen in your life. You can count on it. In fact, I see this kind of pattern in my own life as well. I can draw a straight line from some of my highest moments spiritually to some of my most discouraging and lonely times in my life. When I was the highest to when I was the lowest right afterwards. Some of my greatest triumphs have been followed by some of my greatest temptations to throw in the towel, to cash it all in and to crumble, to quit. I remember a long time ago when Meredith and I were just starting out in ministry, we'd been volunteering in a youth group at our church, and the youth pastor left, and the church came and asked me if I would like to be the new youth pastor. And this was like a dream come true to us. This is what we'd been looking for and praying about, and we didn't think it would happen, and then all of a sudden it happened, and the church voted because that's what churches do, and the church voted 100%. Every single person that voted said, yes, we want Jason to be the youth pastor. Now that hardly ever happens, and I was like pumped out of my mind. This was amazing. And then one of my really good friends and mentor looked me right in the eyes and he said, congratulations, you're the youth pastor. Now don't mess it up. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, dude. See, my friend actually knew a spiritual principle that I believe is taught right here in this passage. Be ready, because sometimes your greatest temptations come right on the heels of some of your greatest triumphs. My friend was right. It's Mel Walker, for those of you that recognize that name. Those first few years of our ministry and our marriage would be some of the most difficult of our lives, and we would be tempted in ways we never 
ever, ever thought imaginable. From great triumph to great temptation. And in a sense, this is where Jesus is in this passage in Matthew chapter 4. The celebration of his public baptism is over, and now he's all alone in the wilderness. Mark's gospel, sort of a correlation to this passage, gives us a little more detail on how Jesus got there. Mark actually says that the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. Now, not in like a church van or a Prius or a golf cart, right? But he actually pushed him out there on purpose. And here's what we find out. Jesus wasn't there by mistake or by accident or just by luck or he got lost out taking a walk. He was following the leading of the Holy Spirit, walking step by step where the Holy Spirit guided him. And guys, where did the Holy Spirit guide him? Right into the wilderness to be tested by the devil himself. He was led there by the Spirit. Maybe you need to hear this today because you're in a time of loneliness. Maybe you're in the wilderness or a desert kind of experience or even a valley in your life right now. I don't know what it is for you or for your family. Maybe it's financial struggles or health concerns. Maybe you're going home to parents that don't get along or maybe one of your parents have moved out last year or your best friend moved away. Whatever it is, Whatever desert you find yourself in right now, if you're a Christian, I want you to write this down. Number one, tonight, if you're going to triumph over temptation, if you're going to say no to sin, here's number one. You need to walk with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Before Jesus even faced Satan in the wilderness, it's coming, before he even faced Satan, he was walking with the Holy Spirit. And if you're a Christian here today, and not all of you are, so I'm not talking to everybody here. If you're not a Christian, become a Christian this week. Don't let it wait, right? Several of you have already this week. Praise the Lord for that. That is amazing. I love, love, love hearing those stories. But if you're a Christian, it may be that God has led you or maybe even even he's driven you into the wilderness to put you into an environment where you have nothing else but him. Jesus had nothing but God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now, my guess is this bothers a couple of you because you've been told, give your life to Jesus and everything gets easier. All you have to do is pray this magical prayer and suddenly everything will turn out okay. You'll never struggle. You'll never be poor. You'll have the coolest parents. You'll ace every single test even if you don't study. And because now you're a Christian and the Christian life is just one big playground, right? Is that what we're talking about this week? Life, it's not just a game. It's more than a game. It's serious stuff. In fact, the Christian life is more like a battleground than anything else. That's what John 10.10, abundant life, actually looks like. How many of you know that when you gave your life to Jesus, things didn't get easier? In fact, they got harder. 
Listen, there's a reason for that. If you're a follower of Jesus, life is more than a game. You're in a war. It's a battleground. And like every single soldier, you will be tested. Now catch this, not because God doesn't love you, but because his desire or because his desire isn't for you to be comfortable, but to be Christ-like. God, more than anything, wants you to not be comfortable, but to be Christ-like. And for some of you, you've bought into this toxic worldly philosophy philosophy that God's number one goal is to make you happy when he's actually a whole lot more concerned about your holiness. Did you catch that? Some of you are like, God, I want to be a Christian because you're going to make me happy, aren't you? And God's like, I'm not trying to do that. My number one goal is to make you holy. And we chase after comfort. And meanwhile, God wants us to be more Christ-like. And so, yes, he does test us so that we can get stronger, so that we can learn to obey, and so that we become a lot more like Jesus. Okay, now hear this. A God who doesn't allow struggles in the lives of his children is a God who doesn't love his children. We're we're going deep this week, right? You with me? A God who doesn't allow struggles in the lives of his children, is a God who doesn't love his children. Let me illustrate. A couple years ago, I told you we came to family camp. Our son Judah was six years old. We told him as we were coming, you're going to go on the zip line. You're six years old. You can do it. He's pumped. He's like, yep, I'm going to do it. I don't know what a zip line is, but I'm all in. So we get here two years ago. He sees the zip line, and he's like, I'm done. I'm out. And like a good dad, I force him to go up the thing. No, we are going up this thing because I'm going to have a son that does stuff like this. And so he puts on the harness, right, just like a lot of you guys have this week. And you make that long walk that if you're excited about it, you like run. And if you're not excited about it, you're trying to figure out how to turn around and run the other way. And then we get to the stairs. And and actually, I've never done it before either, before this moment two years ago. And so I have no idea what I'm getting into, but I'm like, you know, the dad, so I'm confident, and at least I'm pretending to be. So you start walking up the stairs, and that thing never ends. I mean, it's almost like, what is this, a treadmill of stairs? I mean, I am just like walking and walking and walking, and finally, you get to the top, and I'm looking over at my six-year-old Judah, and he is like shaking like a leaf. He's up at the top of this thing. And then we get to the end of the thing where they've got the gate, the little door, and you can actually see out, and he's like, this is not happening. What, did you, what have you taken me to? What have you brought me to? I hate this. I don't like you. Get me out of here. He's like, turn around, go away. I'm like, we're going to do this, buddy. We're going to do this. So finally, we open up the gate. I'm next to him. He's over here. The counselors open up the gates, and we walk out onto that like diving board into the abyss, right? <laughs> and again, I've never done this either. He's here next to me, and he's like, you know, slowly walking out kind of like this, and he's just petrified. The thing's, you know, hooked in, but we don't understand any of that stuff. And finally, I get him to move out to the end of the deal, right? So he's on the end of that, that gangway. And the counselor's like, okay, we, like, you got to go. You know, we got people waiting. You got to go. You got to go. And so I reach across, and I grab a hold of his hand, and he looks me in the eyes, and he's like, thank you, Daddy. Don't make me do this. Thank you for holding my hand. Whoosh! <laughs> 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 
And it takes him about half a second before I hear a, let's go! As he's going down this thing and mom's down at the bottom taking a video and he hits the bottom and he's like, yes, that's amazing. And this year he's up on the thing and he's going down twice and it's just awesome. Let me tell you something. A God who doesn't allow struggles in the lives of his children does not love his children. A father who doesn't allow struggles in the lives of his children is a father that doesn't love his children. In fact, a father who only does what makes his children happy and comfortable in the moment would never shove his son down the zip line. Why? Because that kind of father doesn't love his children at all. A father who only wants his kids to be happy and comfortable. And some of you guys are going to grow up to be dads, and some of you girls are going to grow up to be moms, and I'm telling you, you're ultimately setting your kids up for failure if you only do what makes them happy and comfortable. And that sounds harsh to some of you, but how many of you know how to tie your shoes here this evening? Okay? How many of you know how to brush your teeth? I know that's a stretch this week, but most of you know, right? Or to make yourself a sandwich, okay? At some point, someone let you struggle through that, and now, guess what? You're in junior high, and you can do those things because they loved you. Okay, so watch this. The Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the desert, and he may drive you there too. Why? Because he loves you. Some of you are in the desert right now, and you're asking the question that we asked two nights ago. Does God even love me? If he loves me, why am I going through this desert? Why am I in this wilderness? Why do I feel so lonely? Why? Because he wants you to grow through it, to rely on him. And so that's God's perspective on the wilderness. But verse 1 of Matthew 4 tells us that Satan had an angle on this whole deal too, right? Satan probably in some kind of physical form shows up because he sees this as an opportunity to tempt the Savior King to fail. Satan hates Jesus. You get that, right? Satan hates Jesus. And by the way, if you're with Jesus tonight, he hates you. The war that Satan has declared on Jesus, if you are walking with Jesus, he sees you in every way as an ally with Jesus and an enemy of his. You understand that, right? Life, it's not, it's more than a game. Life is more than a game. If you're a Christian, you are Satan's enemy because you are with Jesus. Don't forget that. So Satan, so Satan doesn't pull any punches here with Jesus. And in the next few verses, we find Satan launching what really amount to three targeted attacks, sort of custom created and aimed right at the heart of Christ. And I think that you'll find that they resonate with you too. In fact, Matthew calls Satan the diabolos, the tempter, the accuser, the one who slanders, diabolos, what a word. And Satan comes to Jesus in these three waves of temptation. We'll look at the first one, and then the other two are similar. He says, hey, Jesus, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread in verse three. 
Now, Satan, you understand this, right? He's not questioning whether Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. Satan knows who Jesus is. He's not like, hey, are you actually the Son of God? He knows that he is the Son of God. But in the last couple uh, verses of the last chapter, Matthew chapter 3, the last few words of the baptism story right before this come directly from God the Father, Jesus' Father, when God opens up the heavens and he points to his son Jesus and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased as Jesus is getting baptized. And so the devil actually knows that Jesus is the son of God. So what in the world is he getting at here? Why is he saying this? Well, he's doing the same thing to Jesus that he's done to people all throughout history. He's trying to plant little seeds of doubt. You see that? Jesus, Satan whispers, are you really the son of God? Does God really love you, Jesus? I mean, how could a good and loving father allow you to be out here in the wilderness all alone and hungry? Remember how Satan... Diabolos, the tempter, tempted Eve in the garden. Eve, did God really say that? Come on, Eve, if God actually loved you, wouldn't he let you do anything you want? Maybe Satan's lied to some of you in the same way. A loving God would never keep something from you that you want, would he? I mean, that's not love. If God really loved you, wouldn't he give you whatever makes you happy? And so Satan makes a suggestion to Jesus, use your divine powers, your godness to meet your own needs. And obviously Jesus, God, doesn't love you enough to provide simple things even like food, so just do it yourself. Now listen, Jesus had gone 40 days without food at this point. He was hungry. I went 40 minutes one time this week without a snack, right? 40 days is pretty amazing. And Jesus could have just snapped his fingers or blinked his eyes or just had a split second of a thought and those rocks would have become rolls. But instead, he turns to the devil, Satan himself, and he looks him in the eye and he says these words in verse four, it is written. And I'm like, okay, Jesus, first of all, I get that you don't have a lot of energy right now, like after 40 days, I'd be pretty tired and weak as well, but Maybe a full-on wrestling match with the devil isn't exactly what you're up for, but you could have just slapped him around a little bit, right? Maybe like a quick kick to the shins or something, a finger in the eye, you know? I mean, Jesus here is fighting against the devil, Satan himself. And what's his response to the devil in this battlefield? Words. Words. But these aren't just any words, right? Jesus isn't quoting from his favorite motivational speaker or his favorite movie or his favorite artist. He's not repeating a line from some bestseller. These words are truth. These are the words of God. These are inspired. These words won't be twisted or manipulated or misused. They're straight out of the pages of the Old Testament. In fact, from Deuteronomy chapter 8, where Deuteronomy says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Friends, tonight in junior high, if you want to know how to triumph over temptation, how to say no to sin, number one, walk with the Spirit wherever He leads you. And number two, cling to the Word of God. 
Charlie said it this morning, seek the word of God. It's amazing to me that the first response Jesus has to this all-out offensive from the devil himself is to quote words from a book that was written hundreds of years earlier. But watch this. Jesus knew the Bible. He trusted the Bible. He loved the Bible. And when it came to having victory over temptation in his own life, he perfectly illustrated the point of the psalmist in Psalm 119, the longest chapter in all of the Bible. How can a young man keep his way pure or a young woman in junior high? How can you keep your way pure? What's the answer? By guarding your life according to God's word. And the psalmist says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. That's the Bible. Have I I have stored up your word, scripture in my heart. Why? So that I might not, what's the phrase? Sin against you. Check this out. Jesus says, look, pal, I can turn these stones into bread, no problem. But here's the issue with that. God brought me out here for a reason. And if I put my own physical needs before my spiritual needs, that is sin. And so I'm not going to allow you or anybody else to tell me what to do. And unless I get a direct word from my father, because I'm walking with the spirit, right, to order up some Chick-fil-A or DoorDash again, I'm going to stay hungry. In fact, Satan, I came to obey God, not to seek my own comfort. I want to do his will, not mine. I'm here for his glory, not my own. I'm a mission to make, I'm on a mission to make his name great. And if that means I've got to deny my own desires, then so be it. And so Jesus is affirming his absolute confidence in the Father's promise, in the Father's pledge, in the Father's love for him. And Jesus looks at Satan and he reminds him, and he reminds us of the same thing today. Walk by the Spirit and cling to the Word of God, and God will take care of everything else. When you prioritize what God wants, First Peter said it this way, put away sin Turn towards God, right? God will provide you with everything he wants you to have to live a life that glorifies him. Not necessarily everything that you want to have, but everything that he wants you to have in order to live a life that glorifies him, which is the abundant life. Don't doubt his love for you. Don't put your physical wants above your spiritual needs. Walk by the Spirit and cling to the Word of God. There's three temptations. Through the rest of the chapter, this passage, all three of these tests that Satan levels at Jesus, the Savior fights back by quoting the Bible. It's the same thing every time. And here's how this connects with what Charlie said this morning. If you want to turn away from sin and turn toward Jesus, you need to, number one, know that God loves you and will allow you to go through difficult times. Guys, I guarantee it, and this will trip you up every time if you're not sure of this. God loves you, and because he loves you, he'll allow you to go through difficult times. These There there are going to be times when God wants you to be in difficulty because you will prove that you rely on him, and that's exactly what he wants. I told you Meredith and I went through 12 years trying to have kids. We didn't have kids. We had three miscarriages. 
before we had Judah, two after Judah. Those are some of the hardest things we've ever gone through. Days, weeks, sometimes even months of tears and crying out to God. And yes, even asking why and some of these questions we've asked this week. But just today, we're walking somewhere here on camp and Meredith looks at me and she says, you know what, I don't tell you this enough maybe, but I wouldn't change anything about our story. It's from a woman who's had five miscarriages. I wouldn't change anything about our story, she says. Why? Because it forced us to rely on God. Because honestly, when you're in a doctor's office and you're watching an ultrasound screen and there's no heartbeat, you got nothing. And you have to rely on God. Because there's nothing else you can rely on. I want you to know that God loves you and He will allow you to go through difficult times. Number two, I want you to know what tempts you and run from those things. Know what tempts you and run from those things. If it's a large pepperoni pizza at Little Caesars, run from that. (laughs) If it's pornography, Don't take your phone into your bedroom at night. If it's bad language, stop watching shows or being around friends that use that kind of language. For me, listen, I'm 43 years old. I wasted a lot of time on social media. People make fun of me now because I quit it. I have Facebook, but I check it like two times a year. Once on my birthday and once about a month later to respond to all the people that said happy birthday. That's how we know who our real friends are. They say happy birthday on Facebook. (laughs) Here's what I noticed about myself. I I had a morning routine. Maybe you do something like this. I'd get up in the morning, get showered, get dressed, go out and sit on the couch. I'd put my Bible on my lap. And I would grab my phone. And I'd spend 30 minutes on my phone. And my Bible would stay closed on my lap. And then all of a sudden I'd realize, oh my goodness, i got to get ready for work. And what do you think I did? Put the phone in my pocket, put the Bible on the table next to me, and got up and went to work. P.S. I'm a pastor. So I'm done with that stuff. Know what tempts you and run from those things. By the way, I don't miss social media. How are you walking through the wilderness right now? Are you being led by the Spirit? Are you asking Him to guide you? Jesus did. That's what we do when we pray. Seriously, are you asking God to guide your steps, your decisions, your thoughts, the things that you buy, your words, your actions even? Are you fighting God's leading or are you following God's leading? Are you being led by the Spirit? Are you clinging to God's Word? Do you know it? Are you reading it? Do you trust it? Do you love it? I heard about a new Christian a couple weeks ago who said developing the daily discipline of being in the Word every day has been the single best habit I've ever formed. Now this guy is in the military. They are very disciplined individuals. And out of all those, those disciplines, out of everything that he does regularly, he said being in God's Word every single day is the best habit I've ever formed. Okay? You're being led by the Spirit. Are you clinging to God's word, and I'll just add this one here because we're at camp and I think it's something really practical. 
Are you turning down the noise in your life long enough so that you can actually talk to God and hear back from him in prayer and Bible reading? Listen, we're at camp, and some of you are like, this is amazing. I am growing so much. I feel so close to God here. You know why? Because you don't have your phones on all the time. Because you turned down the noise. Because you've gotten away from some of those distractions. And I know you don't live at camp, most of you. But you can turn down the noise intentionally in your life. You can choose to not pick up distractions. When you look around and you realize, man, I feel like I haven't heard from God in a long time. It's because probably there's so much other noise in your life that you can't listen to Him. Turn off the TV. Put down the phone. Minimize the chaos and the clutter in your life. And just sit quietly with the Lord. I guarantee you'll find him waiting to meet with you. In fact, I would challenge you to do that even this week before you leave on Saturday, before you leave camp. Take some time to get alone, to get away with your counselor's permission and just spend time with Jesus. So how can you say no to sin? By walking in the Spirit, clinging to God's Word. You know, there's some of you in this room that will continue to struggle with sin over and over and over again. And here's why. Because you're at a place in your life right now where you don't have a choice. Because you're not a Christian. Because you're serving your master, the devil. And all you know how to do is sin. And you can't stop because there's nothing in you that really wants to stop. And even when you do good things, the Bible says those good things are like filthy rags. They're worthless. They don't earn you anything. It's not too late, though. Admit your sins. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus, the Savior, who suffered and died for you, who was raised three days later, and who now, as we sang, is in heaven preparing a place for you and interceding for you before the Father. Give your life to Him. Don't leave camp without doing that. The story ends in verse 11 where Matthew tells us the devil left Jesus and angels came and were ministering to Jesus. And a few years later, James, the, the author of the book of James in the New Testament, who actually grew up with Jesus as Jesus' half-brother, would write these words in James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You want to say no, how to say no to sin? Cling to God's word. Walk with the Spirit, and He will draw near to you. Let's pray. I guess before I pray, I want to ask what kind of category you're in here this evening. Maybe. You're here tonight and you will say, man, I, I've had a great week. It's been a ton of fun. And I've heard a lot about Jesus, but I am not sure that I am a Christian. And I may be having trouble saying no to sin because I'm serving Satan. And that sounds like a strong statement, but there's only two options. Either you're serving the devil 
You're serving Jesus. And several of you this week have already said, hey, I, I, I realize I need a relationship with Jesus and I want to know more. And I guess maybe just everybody's eyes closed here for the next couple minutes. If you're in that boat tonight where you would say, I'm having a hard time saying no to sin, and it might be because I'm not sure that I'm a Christian. I don't know that I'm a Christian. Would you just raise your hand? Just, just raise your hand right now. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. Just raise your hand. There's stuff that keeps coming up in my life, and I just can't, I can't seem to get around it. I can't seem to defeat it. Maybe it's because I'm actually not a Christian. I need to get that taken care of this week. Would you raise your hand if you haven't already? Raise your hand. Now, maybe there's some of you here that would say, man, I, I believe I am a Christian. I've given my life to Jesus. I've confessed my sins. But I'm struggling. And this week I've realized through conversations with our counselor, through God's word, through the morning sessions, the evening sessions, through stuff in the cabin, I, I need to know God's word better. Maybe I'm not even in God's word at all. Maybe I check my phone before I check my Bible, or maybe I play video games before I open up my Bible, or maybe I choose to do a whole bunch of other things before I even open up my Bible. If that's you tonight, if you would say, hey, Jason, would you pray for me? I need to be in my Bible more. Would you just raise your hand? I just need to, I need to cling to the Word of God. I'm having a hard time saying no to sin because I don't know how to do it because I'm never in my Bible. Life is more than a game. This abundant life guys and girls, it has to be about walking with the Spirit, saying yes to Jesus and watching Him work in our lives. The only way to do that is to know Him through His letter to us, God's letter to us, the Bible. If you raise your hand tonight or if you know you should have raised your hand or if you wanted to and you didn't, please, please, please talk to one of your counselors tonight. In fact, right after this, just find a counselor, get alone, have that conversation. Lord, what an amazing week it's been so far. It's only Thursday. (laughs) Oh, man. Thank you for what you've done. Not just this week, not just today, but what you did years ago in sending your son Jesus to be our Savior who died, was risen, and is now preparing a place for us in heaven. It's in his name we pray.